Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, May 12th edition of Bang the Book Radio. My name is Adam Burke, your host for the next 30 to 45 minutes or so as we go over all kinds of things in the world of sports from a betting focus. Happy to have you with me here as Brian Blessing of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline joins me. We're going to talk about the NFL schedule release. We'll talk about the return of NASCAR. We'll talk about the return of horse racing at tracks around the country, then also take a look at the tailor-made driving relief this weekend, the skins game between Rory and DJ against Matthew Wolf and Ricky Fowler. So we'll chat about that here on today's show. Over at bangthebook.com, we're still doing the KBO thing. Every Monday and Thursday, the Betters Box has become a KBO podcast. If you missed yesterday's edition, please make sure you circle back and check that out. Daily KBO picks and write-ups over at the website as well. Those have not been going particularly well, but you know a lot of stuff to figure out on the fly here with the KBO, and in particular with all the bad bullpens that are out there. We also have a preview up for UFC on ESPN 9. That's on Wednesday night. That's up over at the website. And a preview of this weekend's race at Darlington. And then our good buddy Charles Jay has been doing some stuff for us in the Bundesliga as soccer returns here this weekend across the pond over in Europe. So maybe we're starting to get to a point where we got some more things coming back here and some more things to talk about. So keep it tuned right here to our Bang the Book radio family of podcasts and then also over at bangthebook.com. Finally, as you know, this and every edition of Bang the Book radio presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook. BTB and the number 200 is that promo code 100% deposit match bonus for the sports book 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at bet DSI it's only a game until you bet it we bring on Brian Blessing the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline Brian how's it going today man all right Adam how's it going buddy eh, you know the same every day feels like the same still at this point in time even though we got A few more things to talk about here, and one of the things to talk about, because it took three hours of ESPN programming last week, was the schedule release for the NFL. We've seen some odds movement out there, some win totals moving around, division futures moving around, things of that sort. Anything with regards to the schedule kind of change your opinions one way or the other about a team? No, uh, I I think, you know, you got to look at their non-conference schedule, um, you know, what divisions are they playing? Uh, nothing outlandish. I, I think you start to pay attention to it a little bit, but it's not, now we know the participants for the most part. Uh, you know, Cam Newton's out there, but basically we know the teams we're talking about. Yeah, you know, I think that the Browns were actually a pretty big winner here with regards to the schedule release. And in fact, their Week 17 game, whenever that may actually be played, against Pittsburgh could end up being for a playoff berth with that seventh playoff team added in both conferences here. The 17-game schedule comes next year, so just the 16 games here this year. But the Browns were already in a pretty advantageous position because they don't have any long travel. They do have a few back-to-back road game scenarios, but none of them are all that far away. They play back-to-back games at the Meadowlands against the Giants and the Jets. They play... Uh, the Titans and maybe Jacksonville in back-to-back weeks, I want to say. So their schedule set up very nicely. Baltimore doesn't have to travel a lot either. They've got a pretty easy schedule. And the Browns early on in the year get some of their more difficult games that they're probably going to lose anyway, like at Baltimore, like the game at Dallas. 
So I kind of like that. I like when teams have road games. I sort of expect them to lose early in the year because they're not as much of a toss-up. You just kind of discard them, write them off, and then later in the year, they've got more of those winnable games. So that's just kind of how I started to evaluate some of these schedules. And again, one year to the next, you know, we know things can change, but if memory serves last week, the AFC East teams uh, really ate the NFC East alive. Uh, If you look at the NFC, uh, (laughs) crazy that you would say this, but is this fair that the NFC East is the weakest uh, division in the NFC? I, I think it's the case. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's definitely the case. And, and something else here, you know, uh, that I saw from our good friend Brad Powers, who usually joins us on the show, something in your backyard there, the Las Vegas Raiders really got boned with the schedule. They play a lot of early games. They play a lot of 1 o'clock starts for them. That's going to be pretty difficult. Obviously, we'll see if there are fans and what the dynamics are like at Allegiant Stadium for the first year. But the Raiders have a bunch of early kickoffs here this season, and and that could certainly be to their detriment. Yeah, you know, we always talk about the West Coast uh, teams traveling east. I know the Rams, per se, they come out of the gate, they get the Cowboys at home, but then they've got to go cross-country for back-to-back games. And it's funny when we're sitting here, and it's just the schedule and the draft, and all of a sudden you started talking sports again and the things we always talk about. And it was funny, like immediately I was sitting there going, oh, well, well, wait a minute, uh, travel's a thing, you know, wh- where's it going to be safe to go? And you're looking at the Rams going, well, they, they go east in week two, and then they got to go east again in week three. So you're sitting there going, uh, they go to Philly, and then they go to Buffalo. So there's a perfect example of a team that likely would stay east. And, you know, sure enough, McVay came on the, the night the schedule was released, they actually asked him about that. He said, yeah, absolutely, that's the plan. But they don't, you know, they have no idea where they can do this yet. But you start looking at those little nuanced things that, you know, we start applying when it comes to handicapping games. Yeah, five road games with 1 o'clock kickoffs in the Eastern time zone for the Raiders here. The Rams, you mentioned, they've got a little bit of travel. The Chargers, of course, have some travel as well. And one other wrinkle here, and, and maybe this helps some teams, and maybe it doesn't, and maybe it hurts the Jacksonville Jaguars, for example, No international games this year. So nothing in London, nothing in Mexico City, anything like that. So the teams that were expected to have, you know, some of those logistical concerns going across the pond and all that type of thing, they don't have to worry about that now. And I think that that is, you know, really to Jacksonville's detriment because it's more or less a home game for them in London. Probably doesn't affect anything else too much. But, you know, I believe the Browns were supposed to go over there. So, you know, it's one of those things where, again, I mean, it's it's just – sort of trying to find out how this schedule is going to play out, how these teams are going to perform with or without fans. And, of course, we saw a lot of look-ahead lines come out here, not just for week one, but some of the games of the year and stuff like that. And as you analyze what the odds makers put up for these things, you sit there and you try to figure out how much home field advantage is actually accounted for in this number. And for right now, it looked like the openers for week one did suggest fans in attendance, but that's a, a very you know tight line to try and walk as an odds maker and and somebody managing risk. Oh yeah, you know I, I think the thing we've talked about previously too. If fans aren't there, I think across the board, I think the visiting teams will fare much better offensively across the board. So I think uh, totals are absolutely the thing that maybe should go up 
even more than sides. So, you know, just like you're betting a future, a, a regular season wins total, you know, in, in injuries or things you take into account, you know, in, in the other stuff you would look at with Tua, how long does he sit behind Fitzpatrick? Um, Burrow likely starts, you know, out out with the Chargers. How long till Herbert gets in there? Uh, you know, these are things you take into account. But I think you could look at week one lines and say, hey, on the premise that fans aren't there, or even if in the very beginning an, an 80,000-seat stadium's got 30,000 fans in there, it may be uh, identify some, some games that you think uh, on paper project to be offensive in nature and, and play those games over because the adjustments would be made from week one to week two. Well, and of course, too, if, if you sort of look at the schedule, and, and some of the mainstream media sites have kind of done this already, you've got some weeks where teams are kind of grouped together that have the same bye weeks in case you have to move things around, stuff like that. They have to be very flexible with this schedule, not knowing if they can start you know, right away there in September, maybe having to push it back a little bit. They've got contingency plans as far as the Super Bowl goes, which, of course, is to be played in Tampa with you know the Buccaneers getting all kinds of love in the futures market, but they've got contingencies. They've got some flexibility put into the schedule, stuff like that. So we'll see how all of it comes together and see, you know, how things go throughout the summer here. But hopefully one thing we will have throughout the summer, Brian is NASCAR. We've got seven NASCAR races in 11 days. Four of them are actual cup series events beginning on Sunday here with the Darlington Raceway 400. This will be the first time since 2004 that NASCAR has had two races at Darlington in the same year. You've got the 400 this week. Next week, or uh, yeah, next week's, I believe, Wednesday race is 400 kilometers, or 500 kilometers. So this one a little bit longer than next week's race. But, man, I, I don't know what to do with this. I wrote a preview up over at bangthebook.com this morning, but no practice, no qualifying. The poll set by owner points, so Kevin Harvick will have the poll. But 70 days between races for these drivers, and they've got to hit the ground and literally go from 0 to 130. That's right. And you look at you know past winners here, it's kind of a mixed bag. It's not like one of these tracks where you know Kevin Harvick owns Phoenix. Last year you had uh, Eric Jones. The year before that, Kislowski. The year before that, Hamlin. Truex is actually a guy... I think I'd be stepping up to the plate with here, coming off the shelf. I think he uh, of the uh, Joe Gibbs racers. He's kind of the, you know, maybe the overlay in there. So I'd be looking at him, and I'll tell you, I I just did it too, before qualifying, uh, just to get a price on this. I think an interesting story and talk about the playing field being leveled for him. Matt Kenseth is jumping in here at thirty to one, and he's taking over. Uh, uh, he's taken over Larson's ma- uh, car, and you know, and that's a good car. And Kyle Larson, you know, lost his ride during this pandemic with the nonsense uh, he did. And again, live mics, hot mics are dangerous things. Social media is a dangerous thing. But don't kid yourself, Matt Red McKenzie, he's a quality driver uh, who's coming out of retirement to jump in a really good car. And there's the great unknown. But the fact is. All these guys are going to be shaking rust off, so I think the playing field's actually leveled off uh, to give Kenseth a real chance to actually compete and contend here. 
The only thing that worries me about Kenseth, I guess there are a couple of things. The first is that, you know, in his driving days, he never ran a Chevy. And he'll be running a Chevy here with Chip Ganassi Racing. So that worries me a little bit here, just from a, a handling standpoint, you know, getting accustomed to the car, not having practice or qualifying. And basically what I read is that these guys are going to be in their trailers until about 10 to 15 minutes before the race, go hop in their cars, drive around in circles for three hours, four hours, and then be done. And there's going to be no victory late in celebration or anything like that. So the fact that Kenseth can't really handle the car worries me a little bit. And something else that worries me, and this isn't just for Kenseth, this is kind of across the board here, guys that have maybe first-year crew chiefs or some new pit crews, something like that, it's going to be hard to be on the same page. I'm sure that these teams are simulating the quick pit stops and stuff like that at their respective garages, but you know, until the, the rubber meets the road, so to speak, no pun intended, you don't know what you're going to get out of these teams. So I think the cohesiveness of the pit crews going to be very, very important here. We're not sure how tire wear is going to go or anything like that. So there are a lot of moving parts. And I think maybe the best approach, instead of picking a winner here, and I know you do this week after week anyway, going into those smaller group matchups where you got to pick the best finish, out of the four drivers, I think maybe that's a better approach here, handicapping these in smaller subsets than trying to handicap the field as a whole. Well, respectfully, I will just say this. The car has a steering wheel, and it's got four tires, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Matt Kenseth won here in 2013. So I, I, I think he knows how to drive a car. I, I, the, the, the brand of it, I, I'm with you on the, the, the getting synced up in terms of teams. Now, on that premise, what you're saying, the best pitch stra- or the best strategy, you know, if if it's pitch strategy and strategy can win a race, I always look at Keselowski. If you're talking about the best pit crews that always put their guys in a chance, uh, give them a great chance at the end of the race, uh, win the battles on pit row. I mean, I don't think you look any further than Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin. So you know, it's a NASCAR race. Uh, to your point, the group matchups. I've already done that. Uh, I've taken DiBenedetto in a group matchup against Clint Boyer, Eric Almirolo, and Ryan Newman. DiBenedetto's plus 260. And the other one I took, I took uh, Ryan Priest, plus 265 in a head-to-head in a group matchup with John Hunter Nemechek, Michael McDowell, and Ty Dillon. So I, I've, already, I've already done that. I did that about a, the minute the app started to open again. That was one of the first bets I made was one of the group matchups. And... I just took a little, I took a little swing with Kenseth, and I, I just think that all things being equal, if they're all cut from the same cloth, cloth, I, I think the overlay is Martin Truex. Toyota has won four of the last five at Darlington and five of the last seven, so that is something for you to keep in mind. One last thing I want to ask you about here, because I was doing some research on this this morning, and uh, a listener of ours, David, sent me over a very good link that uh, he sent over on Twitter, but. One of the things that was interesting that I got a quote from out of this link is that Denny Hamlin said, you know, look, if, if you're ever going to race aggressively and not have to worry about the consequences, now is the time because you're not going to have the driver meetups. You're not going to have the scuffles on pit road, anything like that. So uh-huh. my thought process going into this was kind of, okay, maybe you see a real conservative approach, everybody trying to find the right groove on the track trying to find the right racing line. Maybe things are kind of timid and tepid at the start. 
But it sounds like Hamlin's thinking maybe we'll see a more aggressive approach, which would benefit a driver like Joey Logano, who doesn't really give a shit how many feathers he ruffles every week. So I think that's going to be kind of an interesting dynamic, too. If you don't have to answer for yourself, unless you have to do it on social media, not face-to-face, you know, does that favor maybe the bolder drivers here with this format? I'm not sure how it's going to play out, but I thought it was some interesting food for thought. Well, Hamlin's no wallflower. I mean, Logano's the poster child, the bad boy of wrecking people. Let me tell you something. Denny Hamlin, uh, Denny Hamlin just won the, the iRace last week, and he wiped out uh, two of the best cars during the race and won the race. Uh, Denny, Denny Hamlin's every bit what Joey Logano is. But it is, it is funny. You watch Logano during a race. I mean, he literally, there are two or three guys that he impacts or takes out a race. It'll be fun to watch, you know, I mean, and we saw, you know, UFC over the weekend, lots of buzz on social media, a lot of pay-per-view buys. And I was, I was kind of wondering how that was going to play out. A lot of people, you know, tightening their purse strings, sitting on their wallets here for obvious reasons, sort of wondered how that UFC event would do with the pay-per-view main card. And it did really, really well. And NASCAR is going to be available to everybody just being you know, on, I don't know if it's on the basic network or if it's on cable or whatever it is, but it's going to be available to everybody. And if this goes off without a hitch and UFC for the most part, except for Jacare's positive test in advance of the event went off without a hitch, this could be really big for NASCAR because they were kind of hurting a little bit. Attendance was down. Viewership was down. A lot of companies not re-upping their sponsorships with this really being one of the only games in town this could be a big showcase week and a half for NASCAR and could wind up helping the long-term viability of the sport. So I'll be curious to see how this goes, how the racing looks with everyone shaking off the rust and all that type of thing before we handicap another one with a quick turnaround at Darlington again on the middle of the following week. Well, that's the one thing, honestly. I mean, make it make a play or two, we'll do whatever, be entertained. But this is maybe one of the most unique opportunities you're ever going to get in NASCAR and that you could almost compare it to a horse race where you're sitting there and you're watching the race and see who runs good, who's running consistently, you know, who makes a mistake on pit road, uh, who, you know, cuts a tire or something bad happens. But you're going to get the ability to turn right around and play them again on the same track. Uh, So... Somebody that has a bad result because of a bad trip or something unfortunate, you're going to get me up that opportunity to come right back. The eyeball test, if it was ever going to be in play, is in play right here because they're only going to have a couple days to change the setup. So some guy that has a bad result halfway through the race, something stupid happens to him, but he was running really good and competitive, and you know, all of a sudden he comes back and he's 15 to one when he should be maybe six to one. In the race coming up, the eyeball test should really be in play here because you'll be able to apply it right back. No, that's an excellent point. And 3.30 start time on Sunday here for that Darlington Raceway 400. And I, like I said, I believe the following race is going to be, I want to say it's Wednesday night. Uh, but you know, like you said, the back-to-back definitely gives us some opportunities here. But from one kind of track to another, horse racing tracks opening up across the country this week. Churchill Downs will be in action later in the week. Santa Anita's coming back as well, which means you know places like Del Mar aren't that far behind. So 
We're going to have a lot more horse tracks. And again, with people just looking for things to do, working from home, looking for distractions, looking for something to use that bankroll on, horse racing going to continue to be very popular. It already has been at Gulfstream and Tampa Bay and Oaklawn, the places that have already been running. But now we're going to start to add some more to the equation here. So just as as a general overview, Brian, whether you want to focus on the Kentucky tracks or the West Coast, or something else. With these tracks coming back now, what what sorts of things are you going to look for on the daily form? Well, you know, the one thing I would say, generally speaking, that applies year in, year out, like at Oaklawn Park, for example, this meet just winding down. In the beginning, going back for years, I, there used to be a trainer there, Stanley Roberts. He's a real inconsistent guy now. He was much more higher profile at Oaklawn before you had the marquee trainers start to invade there because the purse structure and slot machines. But every year, it was just play this Stanley Roberts guy out of the gate the first three weeks of the season, and you'd catch long-shot prices. And basically, it hasn't happened the last five years because the quality of the trainers that come in there, have it made it night and day. Uh, so now if you're going to make money on a guy like Stanley Roberts, it happens over at Louisiana Downs, not at Oakland. But again, the beginning of this year, this trainer, Robertino Diodoro, who teams up with uh, Cohen, the writer, it was a license to print money in the first month of the campaign at Oakland. And it was like you could, he always had his horses ready to go. And you could single that guy in pick threes and pick fours. And he was a real opportunity for you to make money. Now, with Churchill, Golden Gate, Santa Anita, these tracks opening up, Uh, The one thing I would say uh, to the players, don't be afraid after the first weekend, some trainer, you know, has three or four wins over the weekend or something, you know, ride that way for a couple of weeks because these trainers come, they, they, they got the gun loaded. You know, they're, they're ready to go. Their horses are primed and they targeted this meet. And uh, obviously their horses are handling the surface. Well, more than jockeys, I would say watch for trainers to get the hot hand early in a meet at these tracks. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And something that you and I have talked about before here, you know, some of these horses that maybe finish 7th or 8th in one of these big stakes races, something like that, they're going to wind up going to a different track. They're going to wind up being, you know, a 2-1 to one or a 3-2 to two favorite or something like that in an allowance race or an optional claiming or something like that, and they're going to blow the field away. This is going to happen a lot now because trainers are going to be looking for places to run their horses to try and get them ready for undercards for the Kentucky Derby or, you know, the undercard for the Wood Memorial, whenever that goes off, or the Santa Anita Derby, things of that sort. They're going to get work in and they're going to be favorites in those races, but they're going to be the charlatan-esque favorite where if they don't fall down, they're winning the race by however much they want to win the race. And you're going to find a lot of those at tracks throughout the country here where it's going to be a disappointing result in a race with a, you know, 12, 14 horse field. They're going to be running with six horses now, and they're going to decimate all of them. So you're going to find a lot of those opportunities here at these respective tracks too. So pay attention to the form, pay attention to where they last raced, what type of race it was that they last ran in. And you'll go back and look at that race and say, well, you know, they were running against much higher levels that's, of competition. See, now that's they're not. It a, you can find winners. 
that's it in a nutshell. I mean, you could sit and, and look at uh, you know any of these horses that were fairgrounds based, that were in the Risen Star, uh, you know, the the Oaklawn, the Rebel, the Southwest, those kind of horses, and they just they ran up the track. Or, but the thing is, they, they may have just looked awful in in those big races against who they were competing. And that's the thing about horse racing. The, the way you make money is to draw a line through it, that willingness to not overreact to what you last saw and just and read between the lines. And the trainer's intention was, I think I got a quality three-year-old on my hand. I don't know what I'm dealing with, but I think I got something really good on my hand that he's taking a shot to, to try to get into that road to the derby. And they run up the track and spit the bit. But now all of a sudden... They put them away. They come back in two months, and they're racing in an allowance race. And, well, the last race, he ran like dirt. Yeah, but the, the trainer thought the horse could compete with some of the best three-year-olds in the country. If you're willing to forgive the bad race against the tougher competition, but because the, that last race looks so bad, the horse goes off seven to two, you know, win by seven lengths. Well, I, I know that something else that you like to look at, too, is kind of that first race is a three-year-old or maybe that first race is a four-year-old, something like that. I know that's kind of an angle that you'd like to look at a little bit too, because I mean, these horses, they can mature, you know, they can sort of find their footing, so to speak. They can kind of make that transition from one year to the next. I know that's kind of an angle that, you know, as you go up and down the form, you're sort of looking to play on some of those too. Right, and the majority of them, you would say, would have run already. That that angle would have been in play already, but because there's just been so few races, there could be a lot more of those that maybe crop up. Speaking of crops, the other thing, the, the impact of what is summer racing going to look like? Are are we going to have a Saratoga and a Delmar? You know, what is it going to mean to the two-year-olds uh, and, and those opportunities for the two-year-olds to run? We, we haven't even figured out this year's Derby, let alone next year's. You know, there's going to be a lot of great unknowns who the freshman crop sires are going to be. Uh, it, like anything, it's it's a it's a once in a lifetime thing. Yeah, it really is. So again, look for you know what appears to be maybe kind of a perceived step down in class. Look for, as you mentioned, some of those trainers that get hot early on, and of course, too, you know, you're going to have some big name jockeys that still want to go out there, get some reps in at a lot of these different tracks. Just make sure that they're staying sharp. Make sure that they're working well with, you know, their preferred trainers or, or preferred barns, stuff like that. Just look at the form, you know, just take some time, look through the form, find things that appear to make sense because, again, we're going to get a lot of opportunities here on the horse racing side with more and more of these tracks opening up. And, again, these these trainers just trying to find places to put these horses to run in some sort of competitive race and kind of stay on track for, you know, some bigger things that come down the line here whether it's something on the undercard in the Breeders' Cup or, you know, if you've got a Triple Crown contender, something like that. Again, like any other industry here during this whole pandemic, the horse racing industry, all these trainers and jockeys, they're trying to make as many adjustments as they can as well. No, there's going to be opportunities aplenty, and uh, we'll see if Santa Anita opens. They're actually waiting for approval, but just like anything, you know, the opportunities increase with the more races that are out there. And, you know, again, hats off to Oaklawn, Gulfstream Park, Tampa Bay Downs, it was at Foner Park, Will Rogers. I mean, they they found a way to pull this off and keep going. 
I guess the last thing I'll ask you here, uh, you know, I, I mean, we obviously don't know exactly which tracks will open up. Like, I haven't heard anything about Thistle down in Ohio, for example. The first day of racing would have been, I, I think, last week. Um, but once everything does start to get going, I mean, do, do you have some preferred tracks or you feel like you've got a, a really good handle? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, it's one of these things, too, where that could change every year. I mean, generally speaking, I, I love the Oaklawn meet because you get big fields and real true prices in the summer. It's a smallish track, but a track I absolutely love is Evangeline Downs because they're running 10, 12 horse uh, fields, you know, all all day and all night long. And I think they actually run pretty true to form for a, tr- a cheaper track. And even, you know, the overlaid prices are ridiculous. I mean, you, you sit there and have a eight to five and a five to two in a 10, 12 horse field. And you're sitting there and I, you know, I'm not a chalk eater, but you're sitting there going, man, these two, these two tower above the group, you know, an exact a box with those two, you know, could pay $24, you know, with, with the two chalks instead of at some other track, you'd be paying like, you know, 12. Well, speaking of the exact box, I had one for the Sunshine Forever Stakes that I wrote about over at bangthebook.com. That was a turf race over the weekend. Picked the winner in Halliday, and then Social Paranoia finished third. So he finished first and third with the exact box there, unfortunately. But I, well, I, I had aquaphobia. And the funny thing is, it, it, I actually I did a a different podcast and actually just did a thing. The crazy thing is, and I used aquaphobia as the example, and maybe just very briefly, I would just throw the same thing out uh, to the folks listening here. When you're watching the races, you, you want a way to make money. It's a blank piece of paper. Watch the races and, and, and slow down. You know, a race ends. You want to get off to the, to the next race. And, and it, I get it. Turn the page. But you know what? Slow down. And when, when you're watching the races and you're watching the horseshoe bet, but as you're watching a race, watch it analytically and look for somebody that's got a trouble trip or somebody that was just so impressive and won easily. Mark the horse down. Open a virtual stable account at Equibase and get those alerts when a horse comes back. I'm going from memory now. But I saw Aquaphobia, who ran second to Holiday in that race, who I believe went off at 6-1. to one. And... I had aquaphobia. I bet aquaphobia in his maiden race, however many years ago it was, maybe three years ago. And and, and he won. He barely won. But there was something about it that I, I mean, I'm good with maidens. As in, I think I can project this horse is going to be something good and put that horse in my virtual stable. Well, as I got, I got the alert, aquaphobia is running. The bottom line is I'm going from memory. The horse has 33 career races uh, with like eight eight wins, seven seconds, you know. So in those thirty subsequent thirty two races, I have made money right along with the owners owner of, of Aquaphobia, uh, and you know, win place bets. Yeah, uh, who's the horse I'm worried about? Play the horse in an exacta. But a horse, this horse popped in there. I go, boy, he's hard pressed to win this, but he fits, and you know. Paid a nice number to place. Slow down. Watch the race. Write horses down. Use your eyes. Make make your eyes a, an asset. And, and write a horse's name down. And be alerted the next time the horse is going to run back. And you follow along. It gives you the updates on when the horse is working, when he's entered. And 
it, you you know use the things that work for you to your advantage. The things that if you're if you're successful at it, the things that are angles that continually work for you. Take the time to slow down and make a note or two to apply it to the future. All too often, everybody's just ready to turn the page quick. Up oh, two minutes to the next race. Sometimes slowing down can uh, really reap some rewards. No, that's an excellent point and, and a great point to end out on the horse racing side because there's one more thing I want to talk about here, and we'll actually have two golf events that we can talk about this week and next week here uh, on the show with Brian Blessing. In two weeks, we get Tiger and Peyton Manning against Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady, but this weekend we get four actual PGA Tour players involved Ricky Fowler and Matthew Wolf take on Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson in the TaylorMade Driving Relief Skins game. This is down at Seminole Golf Club. All these guys live in Jupiter. I'm sure they've played together at this course, or at least have played this course a ton. But Rory and DJ, not surprisingly, minus $1.95, minus $2 as the favorite here in this Skins game format. So first, how does this skins game work, and how should it affect our handicapping, Brian? Well, the one thing that it generally happens here there are two there are two bets in play. There's the odds to win the match, and then there's a prop who will have more skins. So they're not necessarily correlated because you know one pair could have four skins, but the people that win the match, my, my and I'm. Uh, my this is a, my best assumption is that the winner of the match is going to be determined by how much money you make. So for argument's sake, uh, Dustin Johnson uh, and McElroy win the first hole. They win the second hole. They win the third hole. Oh, they got three skins. Then these guys tie for seven holes. And on the eighth hole, Fowler, get, Fowler and Wolf win that. But it's an eight-hole carryover, so they're going to make all the money. But Johnson and McElroy have more skins. Does that make sense? They're they're two completely separate uh, separate bets that aren't necessarily correlated. Well, it, it should be interesting because I mean, look, obviously you've got Rory and DJ, two very household names. You've got Ricky Fowler, who everyone knows as you're the best player never to win a major, and then you've got Matt Wolf, who's kind of the wild card here. 21 years old, bomber off the tee, third guy in golf history to win a national championship and a PGA Tour event in the same year coming out of Oklahoma State. Very, very good player, not nearly as accomplished as the other three here in the field. And the odds do, you know, pretty much confirm that. But you and I were talking a little bit before the uh, before we started recording here that maybe the weather can kind of be a little bit of an equalizer for that underdog team of Fowler and Wolf. To me, the the worse the weather, I'm playing Fowler and Wolf. Now, Wolf's the X factor in the whole thing, but Fowler, he's won on the European Tour and he's contended in British Opens. They both played at Oklahoma State. It gets windy there, and you're telling me there's wind and rain in the forecast. I think wind is the equalizer here. Fowler plays a lower ball flight. He plays a draw. We know Johnson. Hits it a mile, but he plays a cut. Harder to play a cut into the wind. And McElroy, albeit, hits it a million miles. The one issue at times you get with McElroy is his wedges 
you know, he's like 18 feet. You know, he's sitting there 80 yards out, and he's 10, 12, 15 feet away. Um, you know, if you give Ricky Fowler a wedge in the middle of the fairway, he'll maybe he sticks at six, eight feet. And I'm not knocking McElroy, but I'm just saying this is not a stroke play event. That's also the great equalizer. But the worse the weather is, Ricky Fowler has proven he can play in adverse conditions. And to me, it's an equalizing factor I'd consider the dog if the weather's bad. Now, I'll play devil's advocate here a little bit just to sort of give a dissenting opinion and, and let our listeners you know, try to decide for themselves here. The one thing I noticed about Matt Wolf as I was kind of going through his performances, going through his stats, again, exceptional off the tee. He was top 15 in strokes gain off the tee before everything got interrupted with you know the abrupt end to pretty much everything in the sports world. The problem for Matt Wolf is everything else. The approach isn't good. The short game's not great. The putting was around average. It was a little bit above average. It was 113th in strokes gained putting. A little bit on the plus side. Fowler may have to carry him with regards to the short game. Wolf will be great off the tee. He's going to be kind of hit or miss with the short game. But also, too, I mean, you just mentioned it with Rory. We've kind of seen that with his wedge play as well. He was as hot as anybody going into the lockdown. Now he hasn't really played a competitive event in two months himself. So does he all of a sudden have that exceptional form? And that's part of it, too. I mean, at least these guys have been able to go out there and golf. But your misses in an event like this are going to be magnified a lot more than your misses playing, you know, a $10,000 round with your buddies or something like that, which is what these guys are probably doing. So that's going to be real interesting to me. Does the fact that, well, I mean, I know this is for charity, but Wolf is 21. He's young, he's brash, he's kind of cocky, kind of arrogant, as most 21-year-old millionaires who are good at golf would be. Does that benefit him in an event like this, to just go up there and kind of grip it and rip it? It could. Well, yeah, it's not a stroke play event. That's why it's my favorite event of the year. Uh, I mean, I love the Masters, but I love the match play. And that's where you can sit there and watch a guy play one day in match play and he won his match three and two, and you know, the, the, and he's going against the guy that won his match five and one. But the the guy that won five and one was playing against the guy that was playing like crap, uh, and and, uh, and actually, or he was lucky to win. He had two balls that should have gone OB, hit a tree, and came back into fairway. He got three lucky breaks to win the match. You're turning around, going, "Oh, he's a two dollar favorite the next day. He should be the underdog." Now, but now the one thing, and I would say, I'm looking, I'm scurrying while we're talking here. Uh, the format is monster here. Are they all playing? I don't know the answer to this. All right. Are they all pl- are they all playing their own ball? Uh, is, believe- there, is there a segment of this that's alternate shot? I mean, I believe this- I saw its best ball. Okay. So then all four of them are playing their own ball. So it'll be birdies will be plentiful. It's not alternate shot then. Um, well, well then you know what you need. You know you need Wolf to step up and do something. You know. You need him to step up and do something on three holes, you know, out of nowhere. He, he could be playing like garbage, but, you know, he gets to a par five and he hits a 380-yard drive and he, he stiffs, stiffs a five iron in there and a par five three feet from the hole. They win the hole, and he could have been playing like crap the whole day. Uh, you, you know, I just think con- from a consistency aspect, and Fowler is, you know, remarkably inconsistent. But if the weather's bad, he is – He's got the ball flight I like in, in, in adverse uh, wind conditions. 
Yeah, it, it's going to be fun to watch, and we'll have to definitely see how it plays out. And, and we'll do more reading up on the format, and I'll put something together over at bangthebook.com here for the tailor-made driving relief. And, and the last thing I'll leave our listeners with here before we uh, sign off for today is that next week we'll be able to talk about the Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning versus Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady match. Woods and Manning minus 180 in that one. Trash talk has already started. It lay, will keep going. Just lay the wood. Just lay the wood. Tom Brady's getting ready for a football season. Peyton Manning's golfing. Yeah, that's true. Well, anyway, that one's next Sunday at very early in the morning on May 24th. So we will talk about that one next week in a little bit more depth. Hopefully Brian has more to add than just saying lay the wood. But uh, That's it. (laughs) I mean, sometimes it's it's like secretariat play. uh, Secretariat, uh, seven to two morning line in the virtual triple crown thing, and they gave you a, a plus price in faraway places. That horse should have been one to nine. I mean, if they're going to give you free money, take it. Have you spent that gift yet, or are you still holding on to it? Well, I mean, there is, there is, uh, you know, the early pick three at Churchill Downs this weekend to work with. Oh, that's true. You know what? I will not be playing a pick five this weekend. I will not be doing that. <laughs> You'll never do it again. No, I will never. <laughs> not, not the last race is one and three quarters, man. Not a chance. Yeah, but the funny, the funny thing is, it, it's a horse race, man. I mean, that's toy. I'll never forget to. Uh, it was my kid's senior year of high school, and we said we sent him. He, he was at a nice. It was a nice school. I mean, way the wayback machine. I think it was like five thousand a year. You know, for, for the high school he went to. I mean, you know, not to, uh, not sounding like Rockefeller here. He, just, he went to a nice school. It was five thousand bucks a year, and I had a pick four going. I had the pool sweep. I I, had, I literally had the whole pool. Uh, it was a race up in Canada, and I had a three to five horse in a five horse field. The horse had to fall down to lose, and I'm sitting there going, "Oh my God!" I'm paying. And it was paying forty six hundred bucks. And I'm going. I'm paying my kids' high school year. I mean, one fell swoop. I'm paying the kids' high school thing, and it literally. The, the the bell the bell rings, the horse goes right to its knees, the jockey loses the whip and almost falls off out of the gate, and I literally like the world stopped spinning and my heart stopped, and this horse somehow stood up and still came back and won the race, but you know it it takes years off your life, so I I know the feeling you were you were having uh, being alive with a nice score waiting for you at the last leg of a race, and and the and the reality is there's no way to hedge. There's in a horse race. That's the problem. There's 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 no get out. You know you got to run with it. Always great to chat with Brian Blessing for stories like that, and also get his thoughts on the betting markets that are out there. Brian, how can people listen to you on a daily basis? Uh, noon to two Pacific time. KSHP.com Sportsbook Radio. Uh, today, Tony Miller, Tony Neville from uh, Golden Nugget from Treasure Island. We get all the the great sportsbook directors here in Vegas. Uh, on those shows it's always great fun and then we do vegas hockey hotline i uh, do it with my buddy stevie slapshot that's from one to two if you're a hockey fan uh, it, it it is golden night centric but it really is you know the majority of the show is talking about the nhl and with this downtime uh, i'll tell you adam the, the show the hockey shows have been just spectacular the guests have been friday we had george mcphee on uh the golden knights uh, president of uh, operations Yesterday, John Forslund came on. He's the play-by-play announcer for the Hurricanes, who also uh, does play-by-play for NBC. So he'll be one of the guys uh, that would be calling in neutral site games. 
Um, we, we just get great hockey guests from around the NHL. If you're a hockey fan, I really think people would like it. And I put the links and the archives of all the shows out on my Twitter at Brian Blessing. Always great to chat with Brian Blessing again, Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline, the two shows at Brian Blessing on Twitter. Brian, appreciate your time as always, man. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right, man. Good luck with that polar vortex. <laughs> there you go. There's Brian Blessing once again, sportsbookradio.com, KSHP.com for his two shows, the Hockey Betting Podcast, another thing he does. A lot of stuff going on on his Twitter page at Brian Blessing. Coming up on Thursday, another edition of the Betters Box, our KBO betting podcast. I'm biased, but it's the best KBO betting podcast out there in the world. Uh, that'll be coming your way once again here on Thursday. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again on Thursday.